0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by From Within Records, March 26th at the First Unitarian Church in Philly, From Within Records Showcase, Strike, Payback, Magnitude Shackled, Simulacra, Worn, Seat of Pain, Burning Strong, Final Right, Beskar, and Off the Tracks. I will be there, and I hope you will be too. Please go get your tickets now on the From Within Records Big Cartel and you can thank me later. Also, from Within Records, Fanzine number 5 is out. If you haven't had a chance to go buy yourself a copy, do that before they sell out. And if they are sold out, you can click the Google Drive link and see there they are. They're they're letting me know, click the Google Drive link and read it for free online. And if you're not following From Within Records on social media, please Go boot up your Twitter, your Instagram, click that follow button and stay up to date on all the current news. And, like I always say, please support From Within Records because they support us. On today's episode, we had to keep the tradition going. Joe Hardcore has been a great supporter of the podcast for uh at least three now or excuse me three years now at this point. So it was uh such a pleasure for me to be able to sit down with Joe again and just talk about everything. And I, I've been looking forward to this all year. He's uh someone that I truly respect when it comes to uh this uh subculture that's a huge part of my life uh hardcore he has so much knowledge he has great insight um, I, I just really appreciate someone like him, uh, like I said, who I truly respect, uh, who's willing to to answer my call, to to, to you know, to, just to give me that. Because uh, you know, there, there's some other people out there who think that they're uh, too good, the egos are crazy, and it's so fucking whack. But when I meet somebody like Joe, who he, he could easily, uh, you know, just overlook my text, not return my calls, whatever, but he he still shows me that respect, and it definitely means a lot to me. Uh, to be able to sit down with him again and just catch up and speak on a lot of topics. It it was truly an honor, and it's something that I look forward to do every year. So thank you, Joe, for giving me and being gracious with your time. It, It definitely means a lot to me. So for everybody, I truly hope that you enjoy this as much as I did. So strap in, enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, welcome Joe Hardcore to the show. Live. Welcome back to the podcast, Joe Hardcore. How's it going?
1: I'm doing good, man. Number three.
0: Yeah, th- this is uh, such a pleasure for me. This is something that I've been looking forward to all year because um, I, I knew that I wanted to ask you to come back on at some point, uh, but I was like, okay, uh, how about we just uh, do it like a year from the last time? Because you came on December 2020 and I was like, all right, like right, let's let some time pass, let some things play out, have Joe back on and catch up and see how he's doing in the world.
1: Now I appreciate the check-in, you know, um, keep killing it. Mm -hmm. Keep getting all my young friends on the show. I'm excited for you.
0: Yeah, no. And, and I I appreciate you, uh, you know, willing to come back on time and time again, because obviously I respect, uh, you for what you do for the hardcore scene, but just uh, to get to know you through doing this uh, as a person, this is a treat for me. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this every year.
1: Nah, I, I outside of the hardcore world, I'm a union cement mason. So I do not take any requests from hardcore people as like, huh, how dare you ask your hardcore. I go, dude, I'm a fucking concrete guy. If some kid or some person who is doing something for the scene, whether it's a zine or I do these college projects from time to time where someone's like, Can you write a couple of things on your perspective? Blah blah blah. And who the fuck am I? You know, that's that's really what this comes down to. And your show is one of those shows where people like Carter and Keith and Bob and all these people that I love have been able to share their voices and opinion on your show. You do great work and, you know, just the invitation alone deserves the respect of giving you the opportunity to have a conversation again. So I appreciate you allowing me to come back on.
0: For sure. Feelings mutual. Uh, but you mentioned uh, your your, your uh, Zoom background for anybody who's watching on Spotify. Uh, you're using your uh, virtual Zoom background, which is of uh, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Um, I, I know like a little bit of like, uh, you know, you have some family ties up there, but I'm curious for anybody uh, who um, isn't familiar. Are, are, is it OK or is it too personal to, to break down, Um, you know, why you I, tend to go back there from one, time to time?
1: One, one. When podcast number three, there's very little you could ask me that isn't that is beyond the, the cloak of, you know, we could talk about anything, really.
0: Okay. So recently you made the the, the trip out west and I'm um, and I know it, it's kind of a drive from where I'm at down here in Orange County but um I, I always hope and pray maybe maybe sometime uh, you know you you will make the trek down cuz you know from Philly to San Francisco that that's a you know big enough journey in itself but uh for some reason I, I always hope maybe he'll have some reason to travel down south and we could link up outside of uh, the, the east coast. So in
1: 1999 I was on tour as a roadie with dysphoria. I can't recall if we spoke on that in the last two episodes. But um am fresh. I think I left for my tour. I want to say I was five or six days into being 19. I shaved my head in Chicago the first day of the tour to go all the way ball for the whole tour again. And we get to California. And at first it looked like Lord of the Rings because it's all like big giant trees and mountains. And it just wasn't the California that I thought I was going to see. And we play in San Francisco, or no, we play in Sacramento. And then we had a shoot. When I say we, it's a story. I'm just a roadie. Great time in Sacramento. We go down to the Bay Area, and we play at Gilman, the next show. Again, completely astounded that Sacramento and California and Berkeley all look like this, because I just thought, Of California as being mostly either what Friday looked like or what any Cholo videos from any of the Southern California uh, Mexican mafia movies were or um, except for San Francisco. I had no idea what California looked like. Just never cared to even think about it. So I just might as well just think of California as being beach or just Cholos and hood shit. That's all I thought California would be. On the third day, we went to San Francisco, and I just had never been to a city as amazing as that since. The Hills, we played coquetry, Powerhouse jumped on and played a set, and it was like seeing Powerhouse in San Francisco was just fantastic. And um, that began now a 22-year friendship with the people in Northern California. And just now, I mean, it's more than it's more than half my life of just truly loving the Bay Area and Northern California.
0: And they're uh, killing it right now, but they've been killing it for a pretty long time. I feel like uh, the scene right now, just with, uh, you know, if you look at all the. The, the bigger bands from the area that, that are doing it right now, I, I think it's uh, something special. And, and I've uh, spoken to a lot of those guys uh, personally and, and told them that I, like, I honestly think that this time period for, northern california hardcore is uh going to be legendary when people look back on it you know ye- like whatever years down the road because for bands like gulch and drain to get as big as uh you know as, as big as gulch did as big as drain is getting because you know drain's going to do that full u.s tour with uh of truth and ingrown it's just something special and very cool to be able to be in this time period and be able to to, to reflect because sometimes it can be hard to take a step back and realize uh the you know, like the actual like you know a legendary factor of what's going on in real time because uh you know a lot of times people uh you know can't accept it or it just doesn't seem real but it, it's crazy um i i i've yet to go up north i was supposed to go up north last year but uh plans fell through um uh, everybody knows about the pandemic uh, but uh, i'm hoping at some point before i die i can get up there and uh, be able to experience a show in all those cities because i've loved bands from sacramento san jose uh, you know, growing up, you know, bands like uh, Hoods, On a Warpath, um, Lose None. So it, it, it's just uh, crazy to me that I, I, for some reason, I just have not been able to to get up there um, for as long as I've been into hardcore. I me,
1: mean, I look at so many different eras of California hardcore with not only just the utmost respect, but just trying to grasp uh, the bigger picture of what the West Coast and its impact in hardcore punk Is in America For so long now And it's something that me and OG Gavin We still go daily and talk and go back and forth on West Coast shit um, I look at To touch on your point I look at a giant swath of California's finally after all the years, now we're talking 22 years since I first traveled to California. After all these years, because of COVID and the pandemic, you motherfuckers are finally supporting your own bands. And there was a time when some of the worst East Coast bands that ever came out, God's Green Earth, would play California and just get all this love out there. And I feel like it took longer for California hardcore to really start respecting its own as much as it gave credence and respect to the East Coast. And there's a, there's a lot of reasons why I think that, but I think in talking to what you're saying about the growth and the excitement around Gulch and Dream, which is very valid, I think it can be expanded to just about anything in California right now from an East Coast perspective. And from the perspective of someone who like reads all this crazy shit from back in the day and just seeing how people react here, I feel like California and the West coast is finally respecting itself. Not that you guys don't love East coast bands and the East coast people, but I think the identity of California as one state is starting to really come into place, you know, and um, it's about time. Some of my favorite bands of all time, are from California. Some of my favorite people of all time are from California, but we talk hardcore punk. I'm going to say some shit right now. You ready, Jamie?
0: Bring it. I'm excited. Let's hear it.
1: So in the time when these motherfuckers from New York and D.C. are jerking themselves off about their, their bands and this genesis of New York hardcore and D.C. hardcore. There was not one single 5,000 person room like the Olympic auditorium doing these kind of crazy fucking shows where it's like the exploited headlining and uniform choice opening and all these fucking bands in between. And me, my bro, McHenry, OG, Jeff, Barletti, you know, we go to dinner and we talk and we just bullshit. And it's like, could you imagine And like, I'm going to have Big Frank from NorCal, who is the Southern California OG. Like, having Big Frank on the show is so big to me that it's taking me months of researching just so I ask him the good questions because this motherfucker was there when like some of the best English bands of all time are clashing with some of the suicidals and all this crazy shit all at once. Like, that's a, that's your legacy. That's California hardcore's legacy. Like, you know, whether I, I always fuck up. uh, we call it Philly mouth where you just don't say words, right? We don't pronounce shit right where whether it's up in the Mumbai gardens and it's dead Kennedys or you're down in the South and you're seeing the beginnings of the germs and you're seeing the beginnings of circle jerks and leaving who is a Philly dude from our neighborhood who moved there and did fear like California is there in its own right at the genesis of hardcore punk. And there are sometimes arguments to be said in the timeline Not that we're having a piss a match, who came first, what came first, but there was some heavy shit at the earliest stages of the mid to late 1970s that could make a strong argument that hardcore has a huge impact because of what was going on on the West Coast, that it would infect everything East Coast, Midwest, et cetera. I think England still plays a heavy part in a lot of the formula to create some of the first generation hardcore. All you young guys who just want me to talk about turnstile shit, listen, this is what happens you get a little older. You start thinking about like what came first or what was the genesis? What are the ingredients? What were people rocking out to when there wasn't a hardcore band to rock out to? Like what was that first step? California's in there, man. So I have an amazing respect for California. I have an amazing respect for the West Coast. You know, we talk about poison idea. Like it's crazy. I mean, and so my own experiences with Punishment, with the first band that I toured with as a singing, not just uh, touring, we go to California. We're getting mad love in NorCal. We're playing four or five shows. We're playing the Bay Area. We're playing Sacramento. We're playing the South Bay Area. We're even playing in North Northland, these little towns like Santa Rosa and Cotati, um, which would later give, you know, that's where like the ceremony kids came from. And that's where, Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the ceremony kids booked a punishment and ringworm tour in 2003 and the show fell through. So we ringworm played in his uh, basement because the punishment van caught on fire. You know, like so many of my hardcore memories of just being a young kid touring with my friends, the highlight reels in California. And I mean, that's nothing to say that Going down and playing something like the showcase theater, or going down and playing the chain reaction, or just being a part and seeing uh this worry on the first tour, the very first show they played in Southern California uh was at the PCH club in like I don't know the name of the town, but it's literally like the DIY club down there. And they play with a band called Atreyu. <laughs> when they're like little kids. There's no one in them. They're like I have my tour journal, so it's like a You Some of that fast but heavy stuff. No makeup, nothing like that. They're just young kids, mm-hmm. literally. I don't even know how I had to be like their first year of them being a band. And then there was some the show was the reason why the reason why we were even on tour, Judd, who played guitar in Distoria, had been filling him with Come and Correct. And I used to go with him for like East Coast shows of Come and Correct. Mm-hmm. Coming correct had landed a West Coast tour. So the way Rick Healy is, he just gets like Navy SEAL type dudes just jump in and play. So, like, oh, I'm in the West Coast. Who can I get? Who, who's a good player I can get? So we hit Judd from Dysphoria up, and he hit my OG, uh, Cappy, who played drums in Freight Train. You ever see the hoodie and the X figure and all them release and all the New Jersey articles up? Mm-hmm. Oh, Chris Capp, my brother, a tattooer. Uh, He played in the band release. He drew that. He's the originator of that.
2: That's
1: why at the time when he got asked to play, he was also drumming for bad love. 13 was not straight edge but was like, well, wow, old head of ours. So Chris caps on drums, Judd gets asked to play guitar and Chris from dysphoria jumps in. He's like, well, if you want Judd, why don't you have dysphoria come and play? And they're like, yo, we'll get you on the shows. So the tour ended up being coming. Correct. With two members of Dysphoria and Chris Cat playing drums and Rick just singing, Dysphoria and my fallen friend and brother Sammy the Mick and his band All Bets Off. And so we did the show in the Berkeley show was the first time Common correct played and they had to all get to Gilman early to have band practice because they hadn't all played together yet.
0: <laughs> that's crazy because these days you could just get hop on FaceTime or get on a zoom yeah, call. Yeah, and it
1: shits over. They had to show up at the venue. First thing I did when I got to Gilman was wipe my ass with the list. Cause I had a poop and there was no uh, toilet paper. And I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to use this piece of paper. Then they're like, Oh, that's like a show list. I'm like, Oh, it's, it's toilet paper right now.
0: That's crazy. But
1: uh, that show is actually wild too. Cause it was page 99 from Virginia, a band from Philly called kill the man of questions that never really fucked with playing with the It was kind of surreal. To think that we became friends with these guys in California, even though they lived in our city, it's very interesting.
0: That is, strange. and then
1: um, when we got to Southern California, we had some shows cancel or weren't good. We had some shows that were fucking fantastic, and I was amazed at like some of the Southern California bands, but also like Low Life from the Bay Area. Like you motherfuckers don't even know what you got in that. That band was on. Um, breakout records and that's still like, I I just rolled with them dudes. So it's still hard in my mind. I saw him, Gabe and all them dudes and Gabe gave me a fresh low life CD after like 20 years of wearing out my old one. It's in my car right now, but like California heads don't even know what they had in that record. Nowhere bound. That shit was fucking hard, man. You know, like so many amazing things in Northern California. There's so many surprise things. Um, then you get in a, I mean, Let's just talk about the diversity, not only ethnically, but just the way hardcore makeup was in California. Um, it was much more like how I grew up. Like you go to the show and there's the big mohawk guy. There's the skinhead guys. like There's all the motifs. Mm-hmm. And by the time we had traveled out to the e- from East to West, hardcore started homogenizing. And everybody started dressing like, you go to this show, you dress this way. You go to that show, you dress this way. California was still old school. And in conversations with the powerhouse guys, in conversations with Northern California people, in listening to podcasts with other people, the hardcore scene, not the hardcore punk scene that we talked about a couple minutes ago with like fear, and but like the what we would consider the modern day variant of the hardcore scene, really didn't even get started until way later. Like there was the mid 80s with this stuff. There was some late 80s hardcore stuff, but like what we know as hardcore now, the California was way more in the punk they were in hardcore. So like by the time we came out in the 90s, you guys weren't behind, but you weren't at full speed. So again, back to the original point, it, it doesn't surprise me that California now is on top. And I mean, um, every band and, you know, uh, from the Young Brothers and the 75,000 bands that they're in, to the fact that Section hate and Law and & Power and that whole Whittier group and, I mean, you guys have the the powerhouse of hardcore to end all powerhouse already a fucking terror still represents Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So many amazing things about California. But for me, though, I mean, I, you ever... I, I never even seen a seal before in my life. You know, like... I know that sounds probably not crazy, but like... I was sitting on a podcast I did with Brett from Ignite. When I saw like pictures of them touching seals, I'm like, where the fuck do those motherfuckers get seals at? Like, you know, like it didn't even hit me. Like they're like Orange County Beach dudes, like helping out seals. So, um, this shot behind me is the San Francisco, the Big Bay Bridge, and that park, Pure 39, is like a happy place for me. I've gone there a million times. Um. And it's sentimental for a lot of reasons. And it's just something that, like, I always looked forward to on tour. And, in fact, this last trip's the first time I hadn't gone and seen it for a lot of other sentimental reasons. So I've just always really enjoyed Northern California. And I I always pay the highest respect to California Hardcore and the highest respect to whether it's Northern, Southern, except for that Bakersfield. That can go. (laughs) That whole, like, weird truck stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fucking. You don't know if it's a fucking, what do they call them? The rolling, not the rolling cactuses. Uh, you, know, you know, like the big dust ball thing that rolls down the middle of the street?
0: A tumbleweed?
1: Tumbleweed. I got the long COVID, so certain words aren't coming to me like mm-hmm. it used to. It took me 10 minutes to remember anesthesia the other day. I was so fucking mad.
0: Yeah. Well, not, like, as far as I know, no disrespect to Bakersfield, but I don't know a whole lot going on out there these days. Um, but if there are. I haven't
1: played there yeah. since 2005.
0: What, were you and like I Jerry's up, Pizza I, or something?
1: Maybe it was the first day of the Stroop Brutality tour with this, with this uh, Donnie Broke Hood Shadow Realm, Black My Heart, and Hoods played and ended up rocking some dude shit right off the bat in the pit because I'm an idiot. And uh, yeah.
0: That's crazy. You know, the only reason how I knew you were in uh, Northern California, because I, I follow you on Twitter, I follow you on Instagram, but I guess maybe your post must have just missed me or um, you didn't uh, share too much of it. But I just saw like a, a bunch of uh, my friends from up there posting, uh, you know, saying like, uh, you know, oh, so much respect for Joe coming out to the show. And they had like pictures with you, pictures of you like, you know, i moshing at the show. I was like, oh, crap, that's crazy that he's out there. So that's how I found out that you were out on that trip.
1: So well, what do you do? when people that mean the world to you reunite and play a show, you know, like I know you have like a mom and a dad and a job and you know, like I'm not a square man. Like I'm not like, I mean, I went to a wedding this year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't go to fucking birthday parties and all that fucking like normal, mediocre middle life crisis, boring bullshit. I will never go to a gender reveal party. If this is some band that meant the world to me and, you know, not to really get too crazy into this, cause it's not that it's a part of it. What I'm saying, but like, I got my OBHC tattoo when I was in the year 2000 with Mike Brown, got it right across my throat. Ernie powerhouse. um Yesterday was 17 years since he passed. We made a connection with powerhouse that has lasted Right. I mean, you uh, know, more than 22 years, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I seen them when the first times they came to the East coast, you know, um, and, and, you know, at 20 years old, I got put down and Ernie's like, where are you going to get your brand, man? I'm like, I think about right here with my arm, like Mike. And he's like, nah, you got to get on your neck. And me just being an idiot, young kid, where I a ear tattoo. I'm like, yeah, I might as well get one on my neck too. I went home all the old tattoo dude's like, who the fuck are you gonna get your neck tattooed, your tattoo? You're going to get some real tattoos. I was so, felt well, so dumb, but I was so happy to have this tattoo because these are my people from California.
2: Mm.
1: And so losing Ernie was hard on everybody. You know, like it it's something that sticks with you. You know, like um, Punishment was a band of chaos, but we toured with our friends. And so in 2002, we toured with Powerhouse. In 2003, we toured with, fucking rainworm, and then 2004 we took blacklisted on the very first tour you know like we were not really a big part of the equation in hardcore but fundamentally the tours we always did were with our friends and we loved them and that powerhouse tour for a lot of reasons some of my favorite tour memories and being out and hanging out with powerhouse every day was like hanging out with like five older brothers and had the craziest stories every night Ernie, if you ever met him, was larger than life in every regard. And there was a vacuum when he passed. And so, and a lot of things shifted in hardcore in Northern California, sociopolitically, and just in general with the friendships when he passed. And so I never stopped talking to Chris Powerhouse on the telephone. You know, his family went through his health issues. I was on the phone with him every week. When my mother, who's now a cancer survivor for shit almost seven years you know when he found out my mother had cancer he would call me all the time you know like i don't know what hardcore kids listening to this who are in their 20s are like why do you call it's like i don't do this shit and haven't done this shit for so long to one day just pack it on a fucking box and just go to like fucking football games and parties and be a square i'm not a square person so powerhouse says they come back chris sends me some tracks He doesn't say, are you coming out? He's like, when are you coming out? (laughs) That's awesome. And so, you know, I'm talking to my, I'm talking to uh, Machete Eddie, I'm talking to Walter and no one's saying, hey, are you coming out? Everyone's like, can't wait to see you. Everyone, it was implied that obvious I would be there.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And I said to Chris, we did the powerhouse podcast on my show. And, you know, he's like, yo, did you get your ticket yet? I'll book a tour or a show eight nine months away. I'm not buying my flight till the last minute because I just the ADHD in me. I can't have that counting down. I've got 11 days like I leave for like it's too much. I'll do shit last minute. I literally booked my hotel when I got to the airport at SFO and took Bart to my hotel. <laughs> you know, like that's how when it comes to travel. And I don't like declaring shit. I don't like saying like, "You will see me. I will be on this." Like, yo, if you're at the show, you're gonna catch me. Mm-hmm. you know like and if and it, and it has nothing to do with it's just the way my brain works and in it's not trying to segue away from this but social media is daunting i don't like that some person can just hit me up on anything that i post not that i don't mind it but sometimes i find it to be intrusive so i'm selective sometimes about what i post and other times i completely don't care and i'll post the most random stupid shit because i'm also ADHD and don't think about it, but in traveling, I really wanted to be in the moment. I didn't want to have my phone out. I just wanted to see my old friends. You know, I get there, all the homeboys are there next thing you know. Yeah, it's a powerhouse show, but we're around the corner eating barbecue at a back of a bro's truck and everyone is hanging out and catching up, you know, like this whole thing is a family to me. And obviously not just cause of crew letters and just lo- it's, Hardcore in general is like a big family to me, but a big part of it is that Powerhouse is coming back and playing. I want to see it. That band means a lot to me. I love them dudes like no other. And the show was fantastic. A lo- I mean, as a promoter, Chris fucking nailed it. The venue, the, the Parkside, Jesus Christ, that couldn't be more of a perfect size venue for just total chaos. Then you put the fact that the first band is Scowl. Um, That was just Insane It was like Scout And then Tsunami And then Powerhouse the first night Second night was Count Time from LA And then Gulch I mean If you're an older band That has old fans But wants to make sure young kids check it out I, There's no better lineup for that So many perfect elements The weather was perfect The timing was perfect And I'm it's I'm still riding on a high from seeing my old friends and patching up and seeing old people. And, you know, literally the guy who um, is very doing very well with his vegan coffee stuff. I wish I hadn't remembered a name to plug him. But RJ, who's the reason why we were on the AFI video shoot in the first place. It's me, him and my bro, Jeremy Lux in the pit moshing around like we were 19 years old again, man. That was fucking cool. You know, there's so many things about it that just had to be there. And sometimes in having to be places, I get lost in not trying to promote that. I will be at places. Not that it really matters.
2: Mm-hmm. I think
1: sometimes I don't think of, I don't think of what I am or what I do in context of if people will care if I there, if I'm going somewhere, I'm just going to go.
0: Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. I um recently traveled to Pennsylvania twice for, for hardcore shows and, the friends that I was going to to meet to to stay with, obviously they, they knew that I was coming, but um, I didn't make some big formal announcement like, "Hey, I'm flying to uh, Wilkes Barre for this show. Um, come say hi or whatever." Because uh, yeah, like I I, I don't care to, to to do stuff like that. But um, I mean, it, it was interesting when I would run into people and you know they like, "Oh, I didn't know you were going to be here," and it's just like, yeah, it's just you know this thing that meant a lot to me, but I'm I, I just uh, didn't care to you know announce that I was flying. Uh, to Pennsylvania for a show just because like yeah like I don't think people care that much about what I'm doing but I could be wrong
1: I also think it's kind of cool when someone walks up to you it's like hey blah 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 it's kind of like that there's just I mean I don't know I've been me I've been me my whole life Mm -hmm. and I've spent I mean March will be 25 years of me booking shows and you know this summer will be 23 I'd say Wait, yeah, 25 years of booking shows and just about that time of traveling often. And like leaving the East Coast would be 23 years, touring the US 22 years ago. So, like, I don't really take into consideration that being in another place and seeing old friends is anything more than now. This is what we always do, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: But I-, I am curious that. You uh, recently announced that um, Powerhouse is playing in uh, Philly. Was that because of your experience of you coming to the West Coast, or was that something that was already planned?
1: The people who do a hooligan holiday weekend, I guess they're moving it from the Midwest to Albany, New York. And so once Powerhouse had decided that they were going to be active, they were invited to play that weekend in upstate New York. Mm Mm-hmm. And Chris immediately was like, Yo, bro, what do you think about, you know, Powerhouse coming to Philadelphia? And I'm like, You already know the answer. I mean, like, there's, it's not, it doesn't, I never lose sight of dates and times and shit. So it's like, Powerhouse played Philadelphia one time 20 years ago and as of 2022. So Mm -hmm. 20 years later, they're back at the church and, I mean the bill is perfect. Everything about the show is perfect. The timing of Hardcore for years is perfect, and it's serendipitous. And I just can't wait to see them at the church. It's going to be something again, emotional and just kind of very satisfying for me.
0: Yeah, and to think twenty years since the last time. Think about like all the new kids, the kids that haven't uh, you know had a chance to experience that. So that uh, that's pretty awesome for them to be able to come back, uh, you know, two decades later.
1: Yeah, I mean that show we did was out in the suburbs because. To be honest, Philly hardcore was full of fucking dickheads and a lot of gatekeeping like people who had only their eye on the prize of like what they think is cool or what was modern and cool then. So we did Punishment Powerhouse and Horror Show in the sc- in the suburbs at like some big school gym. And maybe 80 people saw it because everybody was dick sucking some fucking shit that was cool in EBR at the time. And so for me it's like this, I'm not going to ever say that they didn't play Philadelphia, but this is the real Philadelphia hardcore show.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I love that the, the timing of everything is perfect, you know, and it does sound weird, right? To be like, oh, that was 20 years ago. And I remember when I was a kid, I said this the other day, like when we were coming up 1988 wasn't that long ago. So when guys are talking about like this high watermark of hardcore, they were talking about an experience from just like five, six years ago. So, in hindsight, like now talking about shit twenty years ago, it's really like, wow, what the fuck, man, you know? And I think like twenty years ago, what was hopping was like stupid Beatles haircuts, dumb pants, whack metal shit, bands doing everything they can to suck dick to be on the Warp tour, and American Nightmare still killing it.
0: Yeah, they're they're about to do that uh, that celebration. Uh, tour they're they're doing those couple east coast dates and then they're coming out west to do do a a couple dates which is nice because i'm happy that i'm able to catch them on the west coast it's like uh, they're playing out here the middle of january they're they're playing in orange county which i'm super excited about i'm excited to see a chemical fix in orange county that's going to be super awesome so it's going to be a great tour
1: please watch that band if you're listening Uh anyone listening watch that band you want to talk about the band that could be something uh, all praise to all the guys in Chemical Fix and they have other bands. The Fixation's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Wyatt Overholster really he's the Taylor Young of Philadelphia. Dude. Without him recording these bands and just being able to be this asset for us, it really changed a lot for Philadelphia hardcore to have somebody who's an amazing engineer but still DIY punk hardcore good, who's also in amazing bands. And um I really have the highest hopes for Chemical Fix. And, you know, through Wyatt's relationship with Wes, they were able to link up and be a part of that. The weird shit about that, it, and it's like, no hate there, but like, how the fuck are you going to put American Nightmare in Philly the weekend that most of the real Philly hardcore kids now, most of them are younger, are all going to be in Florida for FYA? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, um, and it'll be a show we'll be bummed we're, we're not going to be at for the church, but I'm happy for Chemical Fix. I'm happy that they're going to be able to go out there to the West Coast They're playing with Scowl, which is like the new band that I think people are really getting hip to. And um, I actually spent a lot of time talking to them before that first show was just shooting the shit, getting to know them. Mm -hmm. I think their head's on straight. Their band's cool. I hope them the best. So thinking about American Nightmare with them two bands on their own, that's going to be a fantastic show for the West Coast.
0: 100%. And shout out to Scowl, everybody in that band. Um, is awesome and i i love to see like as soon as things um out here started opening up and they were able to to hit the road like uh i remember scowl and zulu were like the first uh, couple of bands to actually hit the road and do shit and um from my perspective it seems like they just haven't stopped and like the trajectory that they've been on um has been awesome to see their record come out on flat spot and to see it get so much love and to see them just kind of gradually building up and uh, just gaining a bigger audience um, and obviously playing bigger shows. Like they just had that run with no warning and Comeback Kids, So I- I'm just like super happy for them. And I, I hope the best and to, to get that um, or to-, to get on those West coast States with American Nightmare and chemical fix. I'm super happy for them and hope that more people who aren't aware yet um, get to catch them for the first time and, you know, become a fan and get into their music and support them.
1: So the way it works, I mean, certain bands hit at a different time. I mean, there's elements in flat spot that are able to like help push and organize some of the stuff to kind of get them forward. But ultimately a band is going to rise by the merits of their talents and their drive. Mm-hmm. And I can't speak enough about Scal in that regard. Um, I feel as if there's going to be a lot of people who have been focused and, and this is a paradigm shift from like, we like really heavy shit to now like, oh, we also like this fast stuff over here. I think I damn I think dynamically scout brings something different to the table. That's what's been offered lately. And it adds a lot to why people fuck with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Also, they're supposed to play my show this weekend, but I heard that they, one of them got uh, COVID uh, being at a strip club, which is the only acceptable reason to get COVID is from strippers. And I'm jealous that I didn't get covid from strippers and having just talked to malachi and telling him i'm going to say that on your show mm-hmm. he'll be like well, dude why are you telling people that, <laughs> that
0: it's that's probably not
1: true not. don't listen to me i'm just talking shit yeah
0: um yeah the
1: it was, he the, can't even know what to say after that <laughs> it was uh, I'm, I'm
0: i'm trying to uh, make sure i uh you know just uh, give a proper assessment so it was the, the bass player I, I forget his name but i saw that he had tweeted that he got covid um
1: yeah malachi
0: no that's i'm uh, he's the oh am
1: i fucked up no i he, fucked up My yeah. oh, you said bass player yeah bass no, player not yeah i'm sorry uh
0: I, I i forget his name uh so f- f- forgive me but yeah so hopefully he gets better soon and they're able to uh you know get back out there and do stuff i, uh,
1: I was at work and i got a text like hey did you see and i was like uh, uh oh no i didn't see yet and then we're trying to figure out if we have a replacement because we have a really sick bill but if there's no scound, there's no replacement. We might to have to kill it and just do refunds. But mm-hmm. I know people here were really excited. I just like to break Malachi's balls and say that he got COVID at, from a strip club. Crazy. Um, Probably not true. I just want to say that.
0: W- w- want to shift gears. Want to kind of jump back in time. You can do
1: whatever we want. This is your show. I'm, uh, on, I'm on your ride.
0: <laughs> thank you. Uh, w- want to jump back? Uh, there was this crazy show in New York. Mad Ball played. I-, I know you were there. There was a, a a bunch of controversy, but I, I just kind of want to uh, get it from your perspective. When you went, uh, obviously, uh, you, you know, like I, I didn't realize it was going to be a big deal because I remember I had seen the, the the flyer floating around. I'm like, oh, cool, like an outdoor show, it should be chill. But then it turned into this this big thing. But I, I feel like that show is like an important like bookmarker in hardcore history because I feel like once that show happened, for better or for worse, um things changed right um that i feel like that's the moment when shows started happening again slowly but surely because if if you remember like a week later the section hate show happened underneath the bridge and then like a, a week or two after that then um, things out here in california opened up and shows just haven't stopped since then so I, I i was just curious if you can go back to that um that day and what that show was like for you
1: To again uh, without irony the Section Hate had played the Dead City Punk show the week later, Mm -hmm. but much love and respect to Dead City Punks who were doing that shit like weeks beforehand, too. True. Like, they were already hip and doing shit. So Friday night, I'm at the tattoo shop getting tattooed by Mike Hooligan. I knew the show was coming, and I knew he was renting a vehicle so we can all, like, a big Philly crew can go head out. And Richie from Wisdom, my brother, is literally ripping me straight. Like, you're not coming to New York. I hate to travel to New York. I hate the fucking traffic. I could drive to anywhere else in the world in two hours. New York, you could either go half the way or it's just so annoying to get there. And it's so stupid because the city's sick and the shows there were always great. But just the travel and the tunnel shit always drove me nuts. So it's the only time when someone's like, oh, you want to go? Where I'm like, oh, fuck, man, that's a lot of bullshit to get in the city but mike barletti drives like 100 miles an hour and he has a special power of always finding parking close to wherever we're at mm-hmm. so if he drives in new york i'll do whatever yeah you want to go to new york are you driving cool we're there and so that was kind of the caveat so richie was like oh joe hardcore joe hardcore is not going to be a harder hardcore history is Fucking would be so bad and um i got my stomach tattooed that night and mike's like dude come to the house we're all going and i text him in the morning I'm here. I'm coming. We're all going. So everyone's all psyched on going. And it was weird. First time being in a mass of humans,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, uh, punishment, uh, strike that shattered realm had played in the June in a year before at preserving underground, the first venue because COVID restrictions were not applied in that part of pittsburgh or that part of pennsylvania
2: mm-hmm. so
1: it was legal to do it so we played back in june of night so it was kind of in the height of the pandemic when everyone was afraid of everything and wearing masks out in the fucking sunlight and the, the wind you know how fucking stupid that and it, we're all doing it and standing like 20 feet away from each other like in the midst of that we played the show and it was a lot of fun so i was looking forward to who was going to do it and I, I have my reservations and then, if I'm speaking on what happened that day, or am I speaking on its implications and how I view it now? Uh, How do you want me to take this?
0: Just your feeling on uh, being there at the show. Did you expect it to be as big and as wild as it was? And then um, afterwards, did you, uh, or like, when did it hit you that this was like having a crazy impact on the entire scene?
1: I mean, I was there, so I was there for the gimmick. I mean, I said, "This is either going to be fifty people or ten thousand people." Mm-hmm. And thank God I got over the whole "oh, it's going to suck to travel." And it was DMX's like funeral that day, like you know, um, the vibrant energy. Walking three blocks from our parking spot to the place, I seen fifty people that I knew, oh, wow. not all of them from New York. Mm-hmm. I knew. I knew in the first three blocks.
0: That's crazy. I knew this is
1: going to get wild. And then you show up and it's a an mass of humans. And that ska band was about to play. We got there before even the first band went on. We're hanging off the side. I'm talking to this guy. I'm talking to the guy. I'm not going to name drop because I tell you everybody I hang out with, and people be like, Oh, this guy's a fucking dick sucker. And he just <laughs> dropped name drops. But A lot of people that I love from New York and New Jersey and the Massachusetts and the Midwest and Mexi from California and all these people are out because this is where we're supposed to fucking be. And who better than Madball and Murphy's Law to lead hardcore out of fear and out of the bullshit and into the light on one of the most beautiful days physically like nature wise was beautiful there was people from every scene you can think of um and it was there's so many there's so many things i could like t- touch on like itemized list of things i could touch on and i just kept saying to myself i'm so fucking glad that i just swallowed my anxiety and just went and It was, if I'm answering your question of when did I realize when we were in the van trying to eat in North Jersey, I realized bitch ass sucker Twitter world started running their mouth. Mm -hmm. But. I didn't really matter. You know, I get on stage hug cuz cuz is like actually incorrect. I hug cuz and he's like, yo, you got to come up and see the stage. And I'm standing on stage. And I'm looking at a sea of humans. And he's like, how many people do you think there? Now, I do have the ability to kind of stand on a stage and kind of guess the crowd pretty decently mm-hmm. from all the years of doing shows. And just in the front wave, not including the fact that there were five or six people, there was a hill past the soundboard in the center where there were people climbing in the trees to see the bands. There had to be at least three to 4,000 just in the front and in the back area on the park benches, everywhere else, at least another scattered thousand or so during Murphy's law. And what I got to see was something that my old heads and the people that opinion I respect would always say that Jimmy from Murphy's law is the best front man ever to them. And, you know, I've seen Murphy's law quite a bit, but you put that man in front of 5,000 people, punk rockers, metal heads, people are throwing, the, the chaos for them was insane. But seeing that beautiful man get up on stage and like go back to make all these old guys who after they played dudes would come up like that's the Murphy's law. I remember that's the Jimmy that we grew up with. That was at my Murphy's law set. Like I see Murphy's law, the way people talk about the Murphy's law that got to open for beastie boys. You understand? Mm-hmm. Um. But if I went chronologically, I'd say the ska band was cool. Wisdom and Chains, when they started, I was like, I wonder if people are going to pay attention to them because, you know, they're not from New York. Nope. Immediately, there was a packed. People are singing alone. There's kids trying to stage dive. You know, it's a fun time. And it was special. It was interesting to see who wore masks, mask, who didn't like all those little things. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, there was like a giant swath of like that New York City, punk kid vibe like that were you know you wouldn't see them if they had to buy a Madball ticket for a regular show but they were there in the park um it was it was really active and wild and then am i missing was there another band between there was no other band before wisdom and mad ball oh murphy's law was i am i missing something was there a third band somewhere in there
0: I'm not sure if I'm being honest. I, I only saw the the flyer, and then I saw like a bunch of my friends posting like Instagram stories. So I don't even remember the, the, who the whole lineup
1: was. I uh, I don't want to. I don't want to miss out on. Well, you know Fuck it. I know I didn't watch them. How about uh-huh. that? Sorry if I didn't watch you, bro. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? No, 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 no. You know why? It was JJ's band.
0: Oh, got it, got it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. J.J. got on stage and did his thing. And I remember now, because that's right. It was J.J.'s thing. And I was waiting to hear the wild shit that would come out of him. But I ended up hanging out stage to the right because it's a park. And there's not like a box. It's not like made for a festival. but There's an area where you put a stage and people kind of converse. But all these bisecting crazy paths there ended up being a giant swath of friends all in one area. So I did a lot of catching up during them and mm. I'm not, a am not too cool to admit that I didn't see the whole show. Sorry, JJ eat shit. I didn't watch your whole band set. How about that?
2: Yeah. That so then
1: Murphy's law gets up there. I do the thing. And again, I'm not big on the big, I don't need to have a picture of everything. I fucking eat and see mm-hmm. occasionally, but not too often. I take one picture and I write like hardcore, Is alive And then people start being like Until COVID And they're all clowns Every one of them are clowns If you wrote something about Any of them bands Playing a show You're a fucking clown And you'll never say nothing to any of our faces And if you did You'll get your fucking jaw broke That's the way it goes And you know what Manball The people that have put hardcore on their back Carried hardcore in New York City at a time when New York City was kind of like, uh, these shows are dangerous. Madball wasn't afraid to have New York hardcore on their gear. They brought it into the light again. They've, you know, I have nothing but respect for Madball as a band, and by being the a pioneer in the way of continuing the legacy of Agnostic Front into the modern era. And so, there was nothing more important than see a Madball play. And this is where an interesting thing happens. I had this epiphany where all years of me ninja moshing and kicking people and whatever. It's a lot less cool than if a whole crowd of people is literally almost fighting for their lives to have like 10 feet of space to do some crazy shit. Because there were so many people that didn't ninja mosh that are doing the old school bushwhacker and shoving people. And I actually kind of like the chaos of these younger ninja mosh pit kids. Not knowing how to handle a mosh pit where it's not just six of their friends and everybody hiding, there was chaos. I mean, during Murphy's Law, there was giant swaths of weed to smell coming all over the place. There's fucking beer being thrown all over, beer cans like being huffed from this side to that side. It was everything that I grew up on. It was chaos in the pit, skinheads, this, that, the other, like any kind of person you can think of, multicultural, multi ethnic you know, diverse as a motherfucker. I mean, it's insane. The positivity of the atmosphere, the fun of the atmosphere, the shared chaos of the atmosphere. And then you have a bunch of fucking idiots who have nothing to do and they sit on the internet and they take shots. Who are you making fun of? Yourself? Your stupid hardcore world? Who are you making fun of? The people that Wanted to bring you hardcore and bring people back into this and remind people what this is about. And it's kind of like a shared experience where everybody who went there said, I feel so fucking good for getting out and seeing everybody. And, you know, to touch on this personally, our friend Steve Patashio killed himself. He was the kid moshing at shows at Santa Hats a couple months before COVID hit. Since then, we've had even more suicides in this area. Not just in young kids, but a, a guy who is a father, husband. You know, this shit rips people the fuck apart. And so if we can see the return of things like shows, bringing people back into the fold of what they're used to doing, I, I don't know. You can sit home if you don't or if you're afraid of COVID. You can wear a mask if you're afraid of COVID. But I was never raised in a hardcore scene that was like, you're going to listen to what I tell you or else from the convenience of your fucking stupid cell phone or your laptop. So when that shit happened, I was just I wouldn't let I wouldn't go so far I say incensed or enraged.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I just knew once again, 90% of hardcore people listening to this. You're probably a square and you're listening to this for a couple years and you're going to be a normal ass person and you're going to tell some dumb story about some ninja kick pit that you were in when you have some dumb kids. Most people I've met in hardcore don't stick around because There's other shit to do in life. And I get it. It's not for everybody to make a lifetime thing. And so, but I have a problem when people who are basically squares, just wearing hardcore shirts, start talking about our culture. And then the misinformation starts. I mean, the embarrassment for that fucking garbage newspaper that can't be a newspaper because no one would buy it. So it's online writing and saying black and blue productions, which books, this is hardcore. And. Black and blue ball put on the thing, but then it credits me too. Like all these fucking jerk offs with Twitter who want to be publicists because that's how they get their money on a, off of clicks, write this ridiculously stupid shit. And then the ridiculous mental gymnastics that immediately start pulling the terms white supremacists, a white supremacist rally, you know. Um, Madball can go to South America, and play their entire set in full Spanish because Freddie is a Latino and Hoya is a Latino. You know the lack of respect for your own culture. Okay, cool. You're not. You're you're into some newer stuff. You don't know. The lack of understanding how stupid you sound calling Madball and Wisdom and Chains, who have multicultural members and everybody in the band. Not one band was all white people. The first band was almost only one person called a white, white supremacist thing. Just showed the inane stupidity and just this fucking need to jump on and pile on and say the next snarky thing on Twitter for likes. Like, imagine jumping up and down like an organ monkey with the fucking symbols. On it. Like, hey, look at me. I'm going to say something crazy about this Thompson Square Park. You know, like bands that went on tour. Fans that are touring now that have to cancel their fucking shit because they got COVID, we're all lining up and shooting shit. It sucks. Not for us because we fucking did it and Mm -hmm. we're still doing it. But to be a cunt and write on the internet something and yet secretly be writing to your friends like, I just can't wait for this over so we can go back to being normal. If you wait for the fucking government to tell you when it's back to normal, you're going to fucking hold your breath you're dead and i'm not going to get on anti-vaxxer shit cuz that isn't is what this is. Mm-hmm. This is punk rock shit. You know, this is punk rock shit. We never you can't be a cab and upset that people break the law. I love reading that from people with BLM, a cab in their fucking twitter bio talking about, it's against the law you shouldn't have, This is the policy. You're breaking the policy. Well, who the fucks going to get us the cops? You want to call the cops on us? A cab like it was so fucking stupid. It was so fucking inane, and it was so disrespectful to the positive nature of the fucking show in general. And so if you were there, you experienced bliss. You experience seeing friends, sometimes friends you haven't seen in 10 years. Sometimes people you met 25 years ago outside of a show at CBGBs, and you get to hug them and say, "Yo, no, man, I love you. I'm so glad to see you. This is a way for people to enjoy real life. And people who live in fake life, that half-life on the Internet, yeah sure you were shooting fish in a barrel. You had 10,000 people that'll jump on if someone said something else and you talked a lot of shit. But you're a cunt. And that's all it comes down to. Let me uh pause this. Can you pause this for a moment?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I have
1: a birth I have a I have a shared me and my dog bathroom break cuz I literally came from work and my dog has to pee really bad not to be. Oh, won't yeah. even be 2 minutes.
0: All right, sounds good. No problem.
1: Sorry. You yeah. can make a note that like with the time when I pee and I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, you're all good. Okay, and we're back. How are you? Uh, doing good. That's a nice little bathroom break. but I uh, appreciate your your perspective on the the um, Thompson Square Park show because like I said earlier, that you know th- that show is a uh, you know a, an important part in the hardcore history. Uh, you know whether people want to agree or not, but that show uh, uh, you know marked a very important time in hardcore. So um, I I appreciate so you speaking on it. Let's
1: let's like legitimately unpack that one thing. Okay. It marks people taking shit and saying we're going to do this with or without permission. And there's a lot of things that were going on again back to the whole interesting dilemma where people who were advocating for the lack of law enforcement and you know policy all this shit They had legal permits, and there was all this, like, there was all this trying to, like, fake debunking to validate why you could sit on the Twitter and attack Manball and fucking Murphy's Law for fucking playing. And then the minute that Sprigga jumps up with the Black Flag Matters thing, people flip the fuck out, and they make it immediately, how can we make this about racism? It's not. It's just what people do on Twitter. So if you're listening to this, if you want to have a normal fucking existence, post a minimal shit on Twitter and don't believe anything you read, because that is the greatest example of in real life, everybody who attended. I'm going to tell you this right now. If you want to say that New York City is not one of the most diverse cities on the planet, you're out of your fucking mind. Number one, Mm -hmm. if you think New York hardcore may not be a runner up to maybe Los Angeles or any place towards the southern part of Texas and some other areas, Uh, Chicago maybe as well as one of the most diverse hardcore scenes of all time. And yet the, the immediately line was drawn, like, how do we make this so they're racist? So it adds up with our values to why we can say that this is illegitimate. It's stupid. And it's stupid that people bought it. It's stupid that people recited it, retweeted it, believed it. And what was even more asinine Was that months later when the summer when it opened up, all these jackoffs were like, now that the government said I can, we're finally back. It's so great. Nothing changed. It was just permission or not permission in the minds of these people. But they had permission to talk shit about founding fathers of hardcore. Founding things that if these people didn't do what they did, everything gets changed. There's no respect. And I'm not saying genuflect or suck these people's dicks because that's not particle either. Mm-hmm. But the sheer lack of critical thinking necessary to ascertain it isn't a white power show. It wasn't done illegally. It was It was like, there's so many fucking stupid things that people just had no problem reciting in mass. And then where's your fucking amnesia? Uh, there's someone that follows me and that comes to our shows now that like RT'd and like talk shit. On Twitter but then like is that our shows now like oh thank you so much for shows and I'm like alright well remember that you were shitting on us in April you know this, this whole psychology of allowing Twitter and people who write on Twitter to dictate real life is fucking nonsense it's nonsensical like if Twitter was not a computer program that everyone looks at and it was some dickhead in the street, someone says something like that, I'm going to tell you, fuck you, what are you going to do? You know, like, and it, it, it's, it's, it's simplified to that. You know, I, I challenge anybody who felt so fucking horrible. I remember Listen, there's probably some people who s- still haven't gone to a show because mm-hmm. I still see people come up to me and go, it's the first show since, you know, we just did Keystone Jam last week. It's the first show in two years for me you never know. Maybe they have immunocompromised family. Maybe themselves, they, they can't come out. Like There's a lot of reasons why people need to be scared. So this is nothing to do with COVID. This is purely on the elements that when people are doing something and it's not something that harms you directly and they are part of this thing, why the fuck do you go on the internet and start saying all this stupid shit about it? And yet in the very same breath, You'll then attack people the minute that they have an opinion about music that is completely an argument because they, I like pepperonis more than mushrooms. And you'll have 10,000 people scream about mushrooms or pepperonis. Like, why is this a thing? Why did we allow this to be an element that dictates anything in our fucking culture? And that's where I'm at. The fucking show was brilliant. It was a great day. The amount of positivity i cannot say it just like it felt so fucking good and the element of the twitter it didn't season things and make it bad because those people would then win but it just really showed me just how many stupid motherfuckers there are in the world that just take twitter talking points and throw them all up and don't really let them sink in and realize like well if you hold this view on this thing then you can't hold this view on this thing unless you don't mind being a hypocrite or contradict yourself and I, oh that's what i learned is hardcore on twitter is a full of people that do both way too fucking often to ever make any sense in the world
0: yeah i, I changed the way that i use twitter uh, and I, i've spoken on this before like back when I first got on Twitter, I was the type of person to post everything on Twitter, right? I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Uh, meet me here, blah, blah, blah. But these days, I, I post uh, way less than I used to. And the majority of the stuff that I post is just promoting the podcast because I'm not on Twitter to try to uh, change people's minds. I mainly go there for en- entertainment, if I'm being honest. There's uh, like the most you know, memes and just random videos. I, I think that's the best content on Twitter. I'm not going there to... To try to change oh, the world like
1: memes and being able to answer shit in gyps mm-hmm. might be the the single saving factor for that entire fucking thing without that no. i mean there's no use in having twitter all the information is either subjected to so much scrutiny and i mean like today i realized i had four bots like trying to start arguments on the internet or all my post. So I deleted the guy. I blocked the guy's thing. And Mm -hmm. then I had another request. And the interesting thing is they had that little TM trademark Mm -hmm. next to all three names. Like that's how you know it's him or what the, but I literally, or whoever the fucking bot is. But I literally had a block, a succession of bots or people using fake accounts. And so what the interesting thing is, is the social dialogue now is being dictated by people who assume that they're talking to another human. And I just don't even I don't believe any of it. If I don't see you in real life, I don't believe that what you're saying is real. And if I don't hear it out of your fucking mouth, I don't want to believe it's real because it's fucking stupid. And I'm not going to spend 10 hours debating the importance of these things because I have a fucking podcast and I have a really good group of friends. And so if I want to talk about something important, I'll just call them. I don't go to the Internet and wait for some random jack off who's on a group text with people dying to start fights with people to all go and get bullied on.
0: Yeah, no, I I can respect that because that, <laughs> there are people like that out there. And it's, uh, in my opinion, very unhealthy to spend all day on Twitter trying to argue and uh, pick fights with people. There's, uh, you know, there's not enough time in the world uh, for me to want to do that. Um, but I, I want to touch on uh, you mentioned Keystone Jam. Uh, we had spoken Uh earlier uh excuse me last week and you'd mentioned that you had pulled your hamstring and now i'm curious did that happen uh during the shattered realm set or was that during fuck uh no okay so that happened
1: i i I was feeling myself and i completely embarrassed keith from payback i grabbed him in a clothesline that turned into me throwing him across the front of the stage during mh chaos Mm -hmm. and then i kind of hit like a rage mode where i just decided to pick up tony o from shattered realm and raw life mm-hmm. and try to run him through the pit somewhere in that string of activities. I um, have injured myself, which is bizarre because we spoke before where I broke my hand at F.Y.A. And now I'm concerned that I might have surgery on a hamstring. So I'm really fucking doing good with this whole mosh pit thing.
0: That's crazy. And is is this uh newer uh, since um, you're uh, getting older in age? Because uh, more recently for me, I, and and this might sound weird, but I I was, uh, you know, moshing for Koyo when they were out here with anxious. And I realized the next day that I had hurt my knee and I didn't even do anything that crazy. And I was like, wow, is it because I'm older that this is happening? Cause I woke up and I did not know what was wrong with my knee. I just knew that it was in pain. And the only thing I could chalk it up to was going crazy during Koyo the night before.
1: I mean, I'll leave it at this is I only don't mosh so you people can have fun. If you want to see me mosh every show like an asshole, you'll see a lot less people having fun at shows because we grew up moshing like dickheads. So I don't really have like a very nice way of moshing. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was a while I could kind of like play nice. But I'm like, oh, that person's small. Oh, shit. And that's a lot of the reason why I stopped. It was never about not wanting to go off. Mm-hmm. It's like, Hey, you have a responsibility to not kick this person in the face. Hey, maybe not breaking these people's. I mean, like, you know, uh, I've always been aggressive and it's not intentional. It's just like I got a giant wingspan. I'm fucking six foot tall, over 200 pounds. I swing hard. It's just the way we did shit. And it doesn't have to be me. Let some young kid do it. Do I think it's because I'm getting older? I don't think so. You know, um, Get up early in the morning. I work all day. I go to jujitsu often, so you know you would think that these kind of activities would equally have a problem stream. But I feel happier and healthier in 41 than I did say at 31. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So I think just times where I just go, I literally lose my shit. But I've always been that way, which is where I've always been injury prone because I was always that crazy kid, and I'm. Somehow still that stupid adult, I guess. Okay.
0: And in October, I, I, I traveled to wilkes for the first time. Uh, I, I went to my first Pennsylvania hardcore show, which was awesome. Got to see a ton of uh, awesome bands. Uh, Payback played. It was cool to see uh, Strength of Reason play and get a lot of respect. The greatest. And then I, I traveled back the following month in November for One Step Closer. They had their uh, record release show for uh, this place, you know, and I, you know, I, I, felt privileged to, to be able to, to go to a scene and to, to, to get a lot of love and to have real friends, right. Friends that actually want to hang out to, uh, friends that want to put me up because I, I could have easily got like a hotel or Airbnb, but I had friends volunteer, like, you know, their homes, uh, picking me up from the airport. And it, it was just uh, very cool for me for being a fan of that scene growing up for, you know, liking bands like Title Fight, Cold World, Bad Seed, uh, Dead End Path. Uh, to, to be able to go there and uh, have like a solid foundation, I, I I thought that was really cool, and uh, it, it was fun for me to be able to to get to Pennsylvania for the first time, uh, and it has me looking forward to to March because I'm I'm traveling and actually going to a a show in Philly. I'm I'm going to the From Within Records showcase, which I'm very excited for. It's going be my first hardcore show in philly so i'm I'm definitely looking forward and at to and it's at the church so i'm very excited to to be able to get out there for the first time and it, it was just uh, very cool for me to, to travel to that state because i have a lot of respect for uh you know the, the whole state the the whole pennsylvania hardcore because uh, you know obviously the history there is rich and there's so many good bands so for me to finally be able to get out there and experience a piece of it it was awesome and i'm definitely looking forward to going back in march to getting to experience another piece of it
1: Now um, we are the keystone, as they say in Wisdom and Chains, and as the name of our state, we're the fucking keystone of this whole thing. And no one does it better. It's Pennsylvania, all day, every day, over everything.
0: Okay, and uh, we're we're just a couple weeks away from FYA. I I was a huge fan of the two podcasts you did with Bob Wilson. Uh, You know, I I I, I enjoy your podcast, and I'm a huge fan of Bob. Um, so it, it's cool to be able to call him a friend, but to be able to hear him on the podcast and talk about the fest and you know get uh, personal uh, about himself, it, it was very fun for me. But uh, I'm just curious: are, are you making it out to the fest next year? You mean in like a couple of weeks? Yeah. Well, I, I yeah. say next year, but yeah, you know, it's, it's technically 2022.
1: I I don't, really. yeah, in a couple of weeks, yeah, and same thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've got to buy my flights, but yes, I'm going.
0: That's crazy. Okay, I, it,
1: I just don't care. You just go and buy them. You don't have to worry about it. Just go buy a flight. Just go.
0: You're just the free bird. Because for me, uh, you're know, coming from California. I'm like, okay, because I, I, I've I, I like a weird travel this year. I'm like traveling to to Georgia, then driving down to Tampa. So I, I was having like friends like hound me like, hey, did you get your ticket? Yet? Did you get your ticket yet? And I'm just like, no. They're not friends. Oh, the, oh any really? person
1: who bothers any person who bothers somebody about travel all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I am I'm that person. I just, you tell me you're going, I don't care if you come by goose, you fucking walk. I'll see if you show up. I, I don't stress that. So you'd be like, Oh, did you do this yet? No. What do you mean? I literally was sitting there at dinner at the, we had a Murphy's law show. And then I, I just going to, I had a comeback kid show on a Thursday and Murphy's law on a fly, Friday. I got over Murphy's law, packed the smallest bag in the history of the world and went to San Francisco and didn't even know where I was staying because I didn't care enough to even think. I was like, "Oh, it's a good hotel." Mm-hmm. I have no ambition to overthink anything. I don't have to overthink as far as that goes.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. For me, um, I like to have that mindset. I, I had done that for the, the the two trips that I went to to Pennsylvania. Uh, I was like, "All right, cool. Like, I'll I'll go," and then um, you know, bought the flights last minute. Um, You know, obviously uh, at that rate, a little more expensive than I would have liked, uh, but that's fine because I, 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 those two shows, those were two things that I just I wasn't going to miss. So uh, it was like, all right, I'll spend the money. I don't care because I'd rather spend the money that I'll get back later and go have the experience and be able to not regret not being
1: there. Maybe I should be more frugal, but I, I believe it's a part of the anxiety shit in my head we're mm-hmm. making a decision about me specific. <laughs> so fucked up. Do I have shows booked for July already? Yes. Do I know the tours that might be happening in September? Yes. Do I want to think about what time do I want to leave four months from now to go on a flight? Fuck no.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Literally. That's where my head's at. Like, oh man, I gotta decide when <laughs> that's what, you know, like, um, yeah. Like, <laughs> And literally, that's how I am. I'm like, oh, it's a tough one. But you know, if you ask me to book your band in September, I'm doing it right now. Lock me in. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me, I, I, it's just the way my brain works. I'm. It's probably a deficiency of neurodivergence, but I, I get lost in the time. I go, fuck. What should I do? And then, you know, I am. Um, yeah, that's about the best way I could put it.
0: Okay. And you you mentioned um, having these things uh, or knowing about these things uh, so far out in advance. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this is hardcore. Uh, Obviously, last year it didn't happen. uh, But uh, upcoming in 2022, is that a possibility? Is that something that you're even thinking about at this point?
1: Thought about this hardcore every single day for the last 16 years Mm -hmm. of my life. Because at this stage, I was on tour in Europe or just got back from it or was about to go to – I forget which way. But in December 2005, I was thinking about the article before it was called the article. So 2019 was a wash. I might have talked about it, but Brian Dillworth, the guy who got us the electric factory, he died. Still breaks my heart that he's not with us anymore. That was our mentor. That was the guy who really kind of kept us in the room. In the middle of the pandemic, I tried to do something at a skate park. And there was this fucking dickhead called Unicorn Riot or whatever that was videotaping other dickheads protecting a statue of another dickhead in Philadelphia. And this cop got fired because he shoved the guy out of the way. And this is important to the story because you're we going to do a show at the skate park. That cop was like the, the neighborhood cop, the big captain who knew everybody. And he was the kind of guy who guys from my jujitsu school. were Like, Oh, if you called him and said, Hey, listen, we're doing this thing down the skate park. It's not going to get out of control. He would have left you alone. When that guy got fired, the city was already going from green to red. Mm-hmm. So we were already kind of like, eh, shit could get bad. And then, adding the fact that I'm already a felon and adding the fact that they had a new cop as like the district captain. I'm like, I'm not fucking with no brand new cop looking to make headlines being like, we busted this guy for doing a legal show. So we put the kibosh on 2020 because it wasn't viable without someone getting in trouble.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And, uh, 2021, you would have thought that it could have happened. And, had i had the foresight i would have just did a two or three day thing at underground arts because our first pennsylvania show was less than a month after the thompson square park show and the show was also mad bulbs mad ball death before dishonor cruel hands most uh multiple home front chaos hangman it was fucking great Mm -hmm. um and then a week later was the year of the knife record release party in Philly at Underground Arts with Mind Force and fucking Queensway and all this. And it was in, in one of my favorite shows we ever done. The night before my birthday, it was just great. And had I seen what I saw that night ahead of time, I would have just done a weekend Underground Arts and called it something fun, and I didn't. I was hoping that we could do something at least in the parking lot of the electric factory, which is now called the Franklin Music Hall, which is now owned by AEG Live. But when you're an independent and you can make your own rules, you can make things up as you go. The minute you're tied in with a corporate, now you're fucked because now every dickhead in the company has an opinion. And the corporate bullshit really kept us from being able to do a show outside in a parking lot. And it bummed me out. And uh, so currently, in keeping with the relationship that I have with Franklin Music Hall, we're going to try to work out something maybe for next year or have other venues but there will be a this is hardcore i don't care if it's in a fucking shoebox it's happening
0: that's awesome i'm I'm happy to hear that uh, it's coming back in one way or another is uh, for it to go oh, away can I caveat yeah for sure let
1: me have another awesome gripe hey fuck you to every band that said i don't know man that digital shit seems weird and me and sonny were trying to do like a digital this hardcore
0: I heard about and that, and
1: literally seven of the bands did their own afterwards. And I would, Oh, it's cool. You're doing your own. And the, the excuses were very funny, but I, I love when hardcore bands say no to doing something and then do it on their own later. And then they kind of like, Oh, well, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Hey, fuck you. I didn't want to do a digital one, but everyone's was like, Oh, you should at least try to do it. We tried and due to the lack of the support, Of the hardcore bands Not wanting to do it when we asked Months before digital shows Became the norm Then you do your own digital show Also shout out to Code Orange Who literally broke the internet Who did everything before any other fucking band You know They built their own shit They fucking made their own fortune in just being a band that was like Oh we'll figure out how to make these props We'll figure out how to do all this shit Like, They are the forebearers Of that show. I don't know where you were at that Friday night in COVID when that shit dropped, but that digital show was absolutely fucking fantastic. And the time that they put into all that was insane. And it was a pleasure to see them in the fall in Pittsburgh when they did that show, the first time Jamie sang live. Mm -hmm. Their set, their stage set was insane. Everything about that band was crazy. And, you know, again, just like with Madball, just with Code. A lot of times when people do things first, they fall on the sword. And then everyone who follows gets the congratulations, you're so talented, and all this other shit. But it's Madball and and Murphy's Law and Wisdom and Chains and John Joseph's Blood clot Band that played the first hardcore show in America back. And it was them who fell on the sword for every one of you dickheads now touring. And it was Code Orange who did so many things and fell on the sword, so now other bands are going to now come and do it, and then everyone will clamor and congratulate them for doing it.
0: You know, I, I watched that first Code Orange live stream because I was. Um, going to go to coachella fest to see that live because i am I'm a fan of that band and to see them uh, get all the exposure that they've gotten and the grammy nomination and to, to to get on a fest like coachella that's a big deal for for our scene so obviously i, I wanted to support and the, the fact that uh, obviously coachella fest got canceled so the fact that they did that stream i, w- I was like i'm gonna tune in because i'm curious to see what it's going to be like what i most likely would have seen at Coachella on a smaller scale, but I, I thought they killed it. And they definitely opened up a lot of eyes to what a live stream set could be. Because, yeah, think about what what followed suit. So many other bands and all these other genres um, that, you know, worked with Sunny to do those live streams or, you know, bands that uh, you know did their own thing. It, it was very interesting to see how all that played out. And, uh, you know, since then, I, I can't think of anybody that's done a, any kind of stream since then off the top of my head so it's uh, pretty interesting but it, uh, uh, the live stream thing that you were going to do did you have like the, like a whole thing structured was it going to be like live or were these all pre-recorded can you talk about what we that process is going to be like
1: because the fact is is just getting some of these bands to want to do anything was hard mm-hmm. so we try to take the middleman out of like you don't have to sh-. I mean the idea would be the bands that wanted to pre-record we would help them and then those who wanted to do a day up, we could have facilitated that Mm-hmm. but you know again uh people didn't want to do it and i don't really care about it so i was like whatever so like you're the knife in a hand i think there's two other bands that may have recorded their sets ahead of time that's just out there in limbo who knows but it was a really awesome lesson and not doing shit that you're not 100 percent vested in because when someone says no you gonna be like fuck you i didn't want to do it in the first place
0: hmm okay and uh speaking of year of the knife are are you still like working with them like behind the scenes Fuck yeah
1: we're like peas and carrots man
0: that's awesome it, it, they were uh, just out here in california for for the children
1: and they fucking ripped it and then they came home had a day off and they killed it with two separate sets with the case train kubla orthodox in philly because the the show was like the case train doing different shits sets each day mm-hmm. so one that year and the life did all the like the new modern bangers then they played the church with all really the old guard fucking old school shit which i mean the other band's been around a little bit now so it's cool to see them be able to play two full ass sets of just killer songs
0: yeah and they're about to do that uh tour in january with cruelty shackled uh and it's despised. a way to, it's
1: a way to fya let's not mm-hmm. just call let's call it some long weekends, let's not call it a full ass tour let's not let's not cap these kids up too much,
0: for sure, but great lineup, awesome bands so it's friendly like i said before, for anybody who's in those areas that that uh you know package is getting to, you should definitely go out and check out those bands because uh, every band on that bill is awesome
1: well, like that's the cool thing when fest happened is the tour routes to get bands from point A to point B mm-hmm. appear, and so all these small towns. Get these shows they would never get with a lineup with like five bands all together where it would be one band and three openers. Now that's how it was when Santa Fe and this hardcore was happening. It's been always been tour routes between two tours and you know between destinations. So the weekends around FYA have been really fertile, especially in the southern area, because it's actually a place you can play in the East Coast in January.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's another awesome reason when we have Fests is that areas around the festivals also benefit and hardcore scenes around those areas also benefit.
0: 100%. And I just like seeing um, like bands linking up just to get down to the fest together. Like There's also that restraining order, C4, Spy, uh, and I think there might be another band. Forgive me if there is, but like just seeing other packages like that come together just to get down to FYA. It, it's definitely awesome, and it's something that I'm looking forward to. I'm a, a huge fan of that festival, and to be able to get back to it next year, a couple weeks away, is it, something that I'm definitely very excited about. Because Florida, I, I mainly go to Florida for for Disney World, but uh, to, to be able to go out there for hardcore, Are you I, one I think of it's these awesome. Disney
1: gang people?
0: uh Not a Disney gang person. No, I, I just love Disney. I. uh Grew up. I, honestly, it's the reason why I live in Orange County because I, I wanted to be closer to the park. I literally live in Anaheim.
1: What uh, do you do there?
0: When I go to the park? Yeah. I get on the rides, I eat the good food. Surprisingly, there's good food. They've set up their food game in the past couple of years. So th- Are you vegan? I am not vegan.
1: Thank God. You'll be having to eat like some bullshit processed fake corn dog or something and you end up being like 500 pounds if that's all you ate was vegan food from disneyland
0: the the options are limited uh, when, when in terms of uh you know eating vegan uh, but yes i I'm, I'm non-vegan uh so when i go to disneyland i can eat everything that's available but the park is fun, uh, but I, I don't go as often as I used to because they changed the whole system. Uh, they're uh, charging us the <laughs> the same amount of money for like less perks, which is uh, terrible. Uh, I, the fact that I'm that I still have a pass is very surprising to me because I thought I would have opted well, out. Oh, so
1: you got the gimmick where you can go whenever you want. Uh, yes. You ever seen anybody punch one of them characters?
0: No. You know the the craziest thing to happen in more recent times. There was this thing called the Toontown Brawl. I'm not sure if you caught I one. Stole yeah pretty pretty insane but um I, I wasn't present for that but that's like part of the craziest thing that's happened because uh, if they
1: would have had that shit in philadelphia we would have had that shit once a week
0: that's crazy oh
1: uh, listen you want to step out of line and you want to be in some fucking pluto outfit you're gonna get fucking smacked in philadelphia
0: now i, I i'm excited to, to to go to philly in, in march and I, I follow this this will be cold uh, really like how cold
1: Depends, because it would be fucking seventy-eight degrees or nineteen. March just says "fuck you." We do what we want. It's that's crazy cra- in March.
0: That sounds crazy because that's that's a huge difference. Nineteen.
1: You either dress like a sherpa or wear fucking shorts. Like I like. There's no fucking telling the way this weather's been.
0: Has that how it's always been
1: in March in Philly? Fuck no. I mean, when I was a kid, it was back when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like you can see. I mean. You got remember, St. Paddy's was either hot as fuck and wild or freezing fucking cold and wild. Mm-hmm. So that's usually my litmus. But usually by the end of March, I was supposed to get better. But March is typically who the fuck knows now weather. That's interesting. And what were you going to say? You were about to ask me about some website or something you follow?
0: Oh, no. So I, I follow this uh, this uh, famous Korean chef. So I, I'm curious if you know anything about like the Korean scene down there in Philly. I don't
1: know anything about any fancy food. I literally have friends who ask me about this Ethiopian food place. It's okay. around a corner from old city tattoos. And I'm like, do I look like I know anything about foreign food? I literally eat until my wife had moved to Philadelphia. I never even ate at an olive garden. Oh, wow. I'm like, Philadelphia is a very neighborhood centric thing. There's small little places. I eat at like corner poppy stores and Chinese stores and take out pizza and garbage, fast food, and whatever it took me a long time to even eat regular, normal food at nights restaurants, It's because we were poor, white trash. And if you were to tell me there's this great and it's like all oh, this great Indian place, I had Indian food twice. I didn't really enjoy it. I have friends who ask me about pho. I've never had pho. I am so fucking boring about what I really like. My favorite food is Italian food or Mm cheesesteaks. I do love a shepherd's pie. Anything after that, I I can't fucking tell you. I I have to call somebody, ask them. you ever want to talk about food? You get Mike Barletti on the show. You know, he'll know 10 places in Orange County with the best food in the world. Motherfucker knows where food in every part of the world is and what spot and the last time he was there. But I'm the opposite.
0: So my dream is, is I is I, I go to Philly for, for this From Within record showcase. Shout out Carter Holmes, but it would be awesome to get like you, Bob Wilson, Keith, Andrew, uh, Matt Carl, whoever uh, is available, and go eat Korean food at this restaurant. It's a very specific restaurant.
1: What what did it what is what is the Korean food?
0: Um, hold on, I have to pull up the 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 name because I'm very is that
1: shit kimchi Korean? Yes, it is. I keep seeing people write about it, but I'm not like I'm not really that fucking bored to like try something randomly. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what is it like
0: kimchi. It's just fermented cabbage. It's super chill. So it, like kombucha. It, no, 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 no. It's, it's like it, kombucha is like the um, that's like juice. I,
1: fermented I, juice. It smells like ass.
0: Yeah. So uh, kimchi so does smell. You're
1: asking me to. Yeah. So I'm saying is is the cab- cabbage smell like ass?
0: Yeah. It's, it smells like ass, but it tastes good.
1: <laughs> no, nah, miss me with that shit. Okay, Fuck out of here. Uh,
0: but it, it, it's, it's a place called. uh It's called. Uh, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Sarah uh, it, It's on Spruce Street. Is that? I, I don't know what that. Well, yeah, we,
1: yeah. I won't find that spot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Can we get you, Bob Wilson, and? people there when i'm in philly ask
1: the ask them dudes if, you, mm-hmm. if for you i would sit there but i don't think i would eat any for me cabbage cabbage <laughs>
0: no, there'll be more food than just uh <laughs> kimchi but okay that's something that i would like to to try to put together while i'm out there oh
1: wait wait, wait, wait wait there's a spot that says korean barbecue do you think that that like and that's not in the same spot but like i would fuck with like some barbecued anything i think so uh, that might you get me with but
0: okay oh okay um if, if that's more friendly i i would like to no de- no, no, yeah. no no
1: no no we're going where you want baby wants baby gets i'm just saying is i'm not really fucking cultured my man <laughs> like <laughs> i'm sorry no, okay. my, you know like uh at the end of the day i eat what i eat i like what i like mm-hmm. um you know i've never had Palette like that you know we weren't exposed to those kind of textures and foods and so it's just out of ignorance and not like having that kind of not like like not ignorance of like fuck that that's so stupid but just being completely unaware or un unsho- like not shown you know like my mom god bless her she fucking she was not a good cook and so like you know we had a lot of frozen food when they're you know we ate a lot of breakfast as dinners when we were kids because we were poor so i keep it very basic mm-hmm. you know and so as an adult i don't need to get adventurous but if you're in town i do what all my friends want to do it if you want to come to town i'll come and eat i'll try it but I uh, uh, got some reservations
0: okay awesome well uh as long as you're willing to be a little adventurous, that that would be awesome. Because uh,
1: Out of sake of you and the excitement I'm looking at your face talking about this place, mm. I would feel like the biggest dickhead for not going.
0: Okay. Well, I, I appreciate that because, okay, um when I went to wilkes in October, I actually flew into Philly, but I landed um too late. And the restaurant had already closed, so I wasn't able to go. So I ended up just going literally from the airport in Philly straight to wilkes Didn't get to see that much with the city. So, um, when I get back there in March, yeah, I, I would like to at least do something other than just going to the showcase. Cause the showcase is going to be awesome. So many awesome bands from all over, uh, you know, eco strikes last show record release show for payback. It's going to be fun, but it, it would be cool to get some of you guys to go out and do something
1: else. Uh, I'm definitely down. I, uh, like I said, no problem sitting down, trying it, but, uh, I have my reservations.
0: Okay. And I'm curious because I, I I, I know you do jiu-jitsu. You've been doing that for a while, and sometimes I, I see you uh, posting about um, some MMA fights. I'm, I'm I'm curious. There's this UFC fighter from Philly. His name's...
1: Dawkinson, uh, the there's a bunch of them. Uh, the, the, Kyle and Chris, those guys are out of Martinez BJJ, mm-hmm. which is a tag team school. Um, You talk about the Philly fighter?
0: Uh, he, he fights in the welterweight division. His name's Sean Brady. He's undefeated. I think he's either 14-0 and 0 or 15-0. Yeah. And somebody, and I don't know if this is true or not. That's why I'm trying to ask you if you know. Somebody said he was hardcore affiliated just because, you know, he's covered in tattoos and he looks like he could be hardcore affiliated. But I'm curious if you know him or know anybody who does know him.
1: I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of MM. I mean, you you skipped over the GOAT or not the GOAT, but like Eddie fucking Alvarez, man.
0: Oh, dude, the Uncrowned King. He was, he's amazing. Shout out to Eddie Alvarez.
1: I mean, I I gotta give all love. Sean's, like 10 years younger than me okay and i think that he's like fully aware of hardcore you know if that makes sense um he's from the like a neighborhood where we used to do a lot of shows and um but this is like how a lot of philly neighborhood dudes like you go to a philly neighborhood you might just see some dude yoked up with like he's got a big ass cross on his chest and shit like that um i ran into him at a benefit At Martinez BJJ and I knew he was coming up um but I'm a little bit foggy if I ever ran into him a show but Philadelphia is a great fight city Mm -hmm. you know there's some of the greats um but in the same breath you know some of it didn't really translate into MMA as well until now every Eddie Alvarez um who the fuck is the Delco, dude? Who is the announcer? Paul, what's his name? He's from Delco, which is right outside of Philly, like the suburbs where like a lot of them kids are from. Like we have a good amount of MMA dudes. We just aren't like seeing it like the. And we're just now becoming into our own. But mm-hmm. he's gonna whoop some ass. I mean, Eddie whoops some ass. My boy Dawkins is gonna. I pray to God he fucks up the Black Beast. That'd be so wild to see a Philly dude up on top in the heavyweight, ready for Nganu. That'd be sick.
0: Yeah, the, the, I that, love, that's literally I happening love the tomorrow. Beast.
1: Love Derek. I love Derek. He's a funny guy. Mm-hmm. I used to watch MMA with Bob and all them at AC's house. And I say Ace Derek's the worst fighter, but he's so fucking amusing. But dude, Chris can crack. Man, he can hit hard. He's a big fucking guy, mm-hmm. black belt in jujitsu. So I, I'm biased because he's on our he's on our jujitsu team. So I'm I'm hoping he. Chokes the shit out of Derek Lewis just because I'd hate to see him get hit with one of these fucking punches that come out of nowhere. So but he out bomb out of the amount of gamuts. But Derek got the hands to do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it's just like he has to use them because obviously you saw him kind of. I, I feel like the moment got to him in his last fight against Nganu, I um, mean, you know, hometown mm-hmm. main event, and it just he seemed, never
1: had it. It, it just seemed he like never had it. Yeah, he, he He's never he, had, he, had it. He's he, got money. He, he seemed He's so got off. money. He's got cars. He was on Rogan. Hmm. You know, like he's a great guy, he, you know, God blessed him with gifts and he used them and he's got money, but if someone's hungry, like an Ingano and come from nothing. Those come from nothing. will do anything. People, they just have something extra. And it's like one of them. I don't think that Derek Lewis has the drive in him physically. You can hear it in his conversations about like what he wants. So he's never really, he spoke on getting better at things, but it's not a priority. Because he says, I can just kind of wait around and wait to just throw that punch. And it's going to take him, taking it may take him forever or never. I mean, you know, remember how big that guy Bob Sapp was? Even that dude was getting fucking smashed after a while, mm. you know, like big guys come with a lot of injuries and once they start really getting competitive. But I think Derek relied, Derek relied a lot on being, having that one shot, you know, which is a lot of Deontay Wilder's thing. You start dealing with guys that are able to push themselves in the gym, acquire new skills, refine their skills, build up their stamina, become stronger. And God has only grown since he got in the UFC, grown as a fighter, grown in his depth. I don't think Derek Lewis is concerned about depth, and you need depth to be a total champion. And I don't think that that's his in his forehand. I'm not knocking him for not. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's in his like when he wakes up, he's like, I got to get better at arm drags and taking people's backs i don't think he gives a fuck about that
0: yeah no i i think i think it's a fair assessment um y- you mentioned De- uh, deontay wilder um who's a heavyweight boxer are you aware of uh, one of the most controversial boxers right now by the name of uh, jake paul
1: oh yeah yeah. I'm um, um- I'm in, but I'm not in. So, what, what's the question related to them?
0: Oh, he's fighting tomorrow. Uh, you know, it's a rematch against Tyron Woodley. Uh, you know, uh, technically and a, a little, rematch. <laughs> technically, a last minute replacement. Uh, 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 you know, uh, Tommy Fury had to pull out due to like a rib injury, so they got Tyron Woodley to replace him. Uh, I think it was on like fifteen days' notice or something. Um, are you interested at all? Do you care?
1: No. Uh, I, we saw one trailer match with Tyson and it was ass. Mm -hmm. I think I streamed illegally the last two that I can was home for. It's bullshit. Stupid. Internet fodder to go on Twitter. But hey, if big Paul has the millions of dollars to pay these guys, like, you know, like again, Ben Askren smart, get the money. Who cares? All this shit's stupid. Stupid to even entertain this dude's ability to stand with a real champion or a real fighter. And it's insane that money and internet clouds people's judgment enough to think that because these idiots are doing these things, that this is the future of fight sports. Some fucking TikTok retard. No, not having it. Don't buy it. Dude's a total clown. Him and his brother.
0: Okay that's that's fair i i was in uh i was invested in the first fight because i'm a fan of tyron woodley uh but
1: bro he looked like shit and he probably still could have beat him and he looked like he held the fuck back mm-hmm. and it was embarrassing
0: yeah th- th- there's always these weird um you know allegations there's no knockout clause. I allegations
1: i mean he basically sat back as a professional and let some idiot on tiktok beat him up for lots of money i, I mean i Anyone who, anyone who doesn't who's afraid to get knocked out cold for a million dollars is fucking stupid. <laughs> million dollar changes poor people's lives. Kyle sure. Woodley, what do you make on that one?
0: Uh, if I'm being honest, I didn't even care to look at the purse. As soon as yeah. like the match was over, I was like, "All right, I'm I'm done. I'm walking away from this. This is too much of a freak show." Because uh, I I I actually like you this know, is a concerted effort by yeah.
1: boxing to. Leverage Triller against UFC because UFC has been dominating ratings and making boxing look what it is. Boxing is for people that understand that there's tactics and chess. And people, it's interesting. The UFC people can't follow boxing because it's slow, but they also can't follow UFC fights when they go to the ground, which is why you he was here. go get them up, mm-hmm. stand them up when it goes to the ground. So what do you want? You want to see a boxing match? Mayweather came out and showed everybody you can finesse for 12 rounds, out punch, out score, and out think your opponent. It shifted boxing in a lot of ways. The Klitschko brothers were absolutely ass in showing giant, big, heavyweight knockouts, mm-hmm. but perfect in their ability to dominate their opponents and win on points. You know, in jiu-jitsu, there's a lot to be argued in points, and IBJJF, which is International Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Federation, which is like the gold standard typically for Jiu Jitsu tournaments. But the popularity is now a no, a no, no points only submission grappling because people want to see a finish. If you're selling a finish, you know, um, boxing might not be the way. There's not, there's always giant knockouts that everyone's looking for, you know their Fury 2 was an anomaly in comparison to a lot of fights. But there's still great boxers out there. Lomachenko, Parabas. I mean, there's so many good fighters still. I mean, fucking Hoarder. It's insane the amount of guys that are coming up and killing it. But at the same time as people don't have the time to be excited about, ooh, look how he threw that punch and went to the hook and angles. You know, um, it's made boxing more boring too. So I think that if the boxing can help Triller start shading UFC by saying, Oh, look, they don't pay their people well enough, it helps boxing look better. Or like, oh yeah, that see the boxers they could beat UFC fighters. It's like, ah, I don't even want to wade into that. Sounds like another Twitter debate on you know, mushrooms or pepperoni. But I feel like there's definitely a lot of clout in the sports world where it wouldn't be good for the sports commissions if boxing keeps losing and not having giant gates. Canelo is the only motherfucker that brings a giant gate these days. So I think that there's a little bit of boxing commission helping Triller make UFC fighters look dumb so people don't, people discredit the quality of it. The same way they said about UFC, about pride fighters. They were accusing them of Yakuza, dudes being involved and making people, and there probably was some, but I think pride was the best shit ever in MMA. UFC is cool now. I think they need to get rid of the rounds or make it simply one or two 10-minute rounds. That's it. See way too many people fighting and looking at the clock and knowing they can run it out. And I remember we train in jiu-jitsu, sometimes training with no clock. You have to strategically plan your moves differently. You don't know if this fight's going to last two minutes or 20 minutes. So you have to get yourself in a dominant position to wait out a storm or keep yourself safe so you're not sitting there getting smashed for 10 minutes because, you know, you tried some crazy move. I think that UFC has been around long enough, and they need to shift around some of their ideas because there's some cool things they could do to make it shit entertaining because a lot of these cards, people are fighting now on points, and it's going to slowly drag out them fights that could have been like OG style where it's like, go, oh, go in and get it boys.
0: Yeah. One thing they used to do in pride that they would give out those uh, yellow cards and red cards to, to kind of prevent the stalling to try to keep the action going. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure what they could do these days. Uh, Cause I, I feel like I've, I've been a, a fan of the sport of MMA for, for a while. Cause honestly, I jumped in, feet first like the first pay-per-view I, I i like legitimately bought was a ufc 100 i remember i had friends over and because uh, like beforehand i was like playing catch-up and uh, I, I bought ufc 100 and i've been all in ever since but it's been fine uh it, it, it's there's still some exciting fighters but i i don't feel like i'm like as um like super pumped about it like i used to be
1: hey, i would rather go eat a pizza or go to rib rack or Chinese food with Bob Wilson and Mike Hooligan and McHenry than anything in this world. So like I'm not a sports guy. Mm-hmm. I have friends that won't leave the house for the Eagles or basketball and all this bullshit. I like combat sports. I love soccer. I like all I like looking at them, but I, just, I can't let it encompass my whole life or dictate unless it's something special. Bob's like, yo, remember people over, I'll go over because I like to be around my friends. Mm-hmm. I'd rather much rather eat food and hang out with my friends and just watch some fights but the fights make everybody come together so it's worth it too uh mma has its ups and its downs um jujitsu watching is boring i actually fuck with watching a lot of judo these days on youtube oh wow okay. i'm mesmerized by it
0: so you're not interested in like that uh is it that um who's number one out in austin
1: I I have flow grappling account, which is a jujitsu promotions that do a lot of submission only wrestling. I watched them, but I don't really, I really, I'm against her, man. Like 110 people are repeating themselves and Ashigarami. I'm like, "Ah, I want to see what the old school guys are. What did Hadra Gracie do? What did, you know, what did, what did Machado do when he had missing parts of his hand? How did he still win ADCC? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, like, I'm always into the what ifs, and I'm always. It's hard to get me to be on a bandwagon. Okay. I'm almost like, oh, you're all over there. I'll be over here.
0: That's fair. Uh, there's a lot of uh, content out there to uh, you know soak up, especially if you're interested in uh, YouTube. You know, yeah, the, the endless.
1: You did really just nail this get all these. I have Audible accounts, so I listen to a lot of um Audible audio books but there's a lot of classics that are available for free on audio on um, YouTube. It's a lot of cool things you can learn to do everything on YouTube. It's a lot of interesting shit. And um, yeah, I don't watch TV. I don't have a favorite TV show. I like movies, but uh, besides Doom, which I've seen now two times in the theater, I don't give a fuck about Spider-Man. I don't care about Batman. So sorry.
0: That's all good. Um, uh, last thing before we wrap up, uh, you know, the year's ending. Obviously, twenty twenty two is right around the corner. I, I'm just curious on what we can look forward to in terms of your podcast because I'm a fan of your podcast. I uh, appreciate you know what you're doing, uh, and honestly, I think uh, maybe it's because I'm just a fan of I'm listening to you speak. But I, th- those solo episodes are some of my favorite episodes um, of the podcast. So I, I was just curious, uh, you know, where you want to take the podcast, uh, you know, next year in twenty twenty two.
1: A couple of like life lulls, and um, I'm restructuring how like my daily habits are. Mm-hmm. I convinced myself that going to work at 5 a.m., coming home and having like a two-hour nap was prudent, and I would get more done. But now I'm seeing the value in staying awake, having a crazy organized schedule full of reminders and time limits and limited social activity on social media. I actually get more done. Uh, I ran into a crux of ideologies is what do I want to do with the podcast? First, the podcast was like, let's talk to people that have taken skills that they found from hardcore and turn it into something viable as whether it's a business or just like a life thing. And then more and more, as I talk about that culture, I realize there's so many background things. Someone who would pick up the podcast, it was like an archive that should be touched on. So I started getting into... The personal lives and the backgrounds of hardcore people, just from a band point of view, not so much a position of, oh, well, this guy went and he started this. Like we had Maddie from Year of the Night for people who might be familiar. You know, yeah, she did Year of the Night, but she also started on Busy's Candy Corps. You know, a Sunny. You know, episode one was Chris from Bridge Nine. Uh, episode two was Sonny Singh. Episode four was Maddie. Chris uh, Dysphoria was episode three. His story is fucking fantastic. Um, Salem from Bloodbeth was said one of the coolest things ever. He said, I don't have money to buy a guitar. So I went to the store every day and I played it. My first job, I played. I got a job at that store and eventually bought that guitar. You know, Louis Aponte, he was going to be on Saturday Night Live with that John Charlie, CB, XBJ, whatever the fucking name XCX. is. Whatever. Um, yeah. He said on the podcast that he learned playing drums by putting cardboard boxes in his parents' living room and playing them. These are stories that I like. Um, so we need to I need to balance better. Young and old would be a good thing to do. But sometimes young people come with some bullshit. Simple. They don't have that wide eye of hindsight. Other guys, like I just said, uh, my latest episode is Tim Williams from Business mm-hmm. Order. Love his work. Wish we could have went more deep. Wish we could have went to the podcast longer. So I got to balance it out. Um, I've gotten a lot of positive experiences from people who talk to me about things I've said on the solo episodes. I don't like hearing my voice too much, but sometimes you got to have an episode and either time management didn't work out for me to have a recording. People bailed or a couple of times there was some technical shit because, again, I do everything myself um, and I just need to get an episode. So I do some solo shit. The solo stuff is fun. Um, I disabled my Patreon. I think I'm just done with that. I'm not really ready for a visual content, mm-hmm. but that that's something that people ask for more. I mean, more people watch the Paris Mayhu episode on YouTube than they did listen to any episode we've had so far. If you count metrics as being real, I don't know how real the metrics really are. Kind of don't trust any internet metric. So I don't like want to chase some fucking rabbit down a hole and starting to do video shit for the first, you know, this week was episode 61. I've been doing the podcast since September, the first weekend of September in 2020. So I love doing it. I love hearing people, especially peers and people who have been doing it before me like yourself, say they enjoy the content. So it's just a matter of do I tell a story or I get in these things like I went through this rut of doing West Coast stuff. I didn't even get to do all that because my life got so fucking busy and trying to do the time traveling between their time and my time was hard to manage. How do I get my schedule to be open for someone on the West Coast to talk for three hours? I'm trying to manage it. And so I have to kind of balance all these things. But the ultimate goal is you could pick up an episode and listen to it for the content of that that guest. Mm-hmm. Or if you're someone who, like me, if I get retarded into a podcast, I listen to every single fucking episode. You know, and as a serial, you understand and pick up the combined thing. Because I, I imagine as you as a podcaster understand every guest you have on adds to a conversation you can have with the next guest. So for me, I can now reference 62 other episodes that I've had when I talking to the guests from episode 63 and onward. And so as I talk about new ideas, I still bring back old ideas and put them into the podcast conversation format. A friend of mine who is super successful, very soft spoken guy, and completely intelligent, amazing, not a very popular person in hardcore because he's not as well known. But he said that access and exposure are two things that can change a person's life. And I use that often. Richie, I repeat him when he says all you know, high tide raises all ships. You know, we repeat ourselves as we have new guests or return guests to keep these things going. So I like the common thread. A pod, uh podcast a podcast episode but i also like to branch out and try different things so we also do the rule of three which is me uh which is this awkward podcast we have jeff gavin from Broadsheet breakdown which is like him Vinny paz from jedi mind and pablo and they've been a podcast for years five years mm-hmm. you know, i've got a 100 episodes they do them semi-regularly and then you got richie crutch from wisdom and post america um we actually recorded, I want to say the week before Thompson hit and it came out the week after was our first episode, something like that. But mm-hmm. It was just three guys who were all friends. We talk on the phone all the time because we're old guys and old guys still talk on the phone. We don't tweet. We don't just get in group chats like you youngins. And we you know we now we have a group chat about the podcast, you know, so we have this three person bo- uh, podcast. It's great also have a couple projects to team up with podcasters like ours to do specific guests to kind of help promote. And that's another thing. I, I used to think that I didn't want to talk about a new record with someone, but the two Paris episodes I did with Paris Mayhew were fantastic. And we talk a lot about the new stuff he had going on. So I've kind of grown as a podcaster. So the idea of the podcast is kind of widened. I think that's the way it works as you work on a thing. You understand the scope of what it could be, What it is now and what you'd like it to be so it's ever growing is a a long answer to that
0: for sure well i definitely appreciate all the work that you put into it because like i said i'm i'm a listener i'm subscribed on spotify so i i I get the notifications when i go check my new episodes tab Uh, so so it's cool to see you sticking with it because i honestly feel like one of the hardest things for like anything uh, is consistency. So the fact that you've been able to be consistent and stick with it, because uh, it's not easy uh, to, to, to keep it going and to um, uh, consistently, um, you know, put out new podcasts and interesting podcasts. So I uh, appreciate the work that you do and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it grow all through next year.
1: I hope so. I hope people check it out. The young kids learn the old people check out stuff. It's a relationship that we all have together without, not egocentrically saying we all because of this podcast, but Mm -hmm. when someone listens to it, I have friends who have been friends for 20 years. Like, dude, finally checked out one of your episodes. This fucking thing's crazy. I didn't think it would be like this. And it's like, what's going to do? Get the guy on there and go, Hey, what's your favorite cheesesteak? Like, that's not what's important. (laughs) Let's talk and find out some real shit. And so, you know, I've had some good ones. I've had some bad audio quality when I missed an episode, you know, like it kills me. It fucking drives me nuts. I'm big on consistency. I'm big on being reliable because I'm the work guy that knows Wednesday Jocko comes out. Mm -hmm. My jujitsu friends have a podcast called Ninja Rob podcast. It comes out on Tuesday. I like to know when the podcast I come out comes out every week, 185 miles South. Boom. You know, I like, I I like the random ones when, Oh, a new episodes out for this or that. But like, you know, well, I'm a work dude. I have so many people are like, dude, thank you for making a four-hour episode. This gets me through my work day. And that shit will come out. I won't even promote the fucking episode. And people are already putting on their stories at like six in the morning, which means the work dudes are out there listening. It makes me happy.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. Now,
1: and just, you know, we're sharing each other's stories. We're sharing people's insights with the world. And there's a lot of people I think it overlooked, you know? And I think there's a lot of... Connecting things that I see because of how long I've been going to shows, and I know a lot of people that I'd like to share with the world to make people have these aha moments. You know, the driving force of having the podcast is this.
0: Hundred percent, and I uh, think someone like you who's been around, who's experienced so much in our culture, I, th- I think it's important and cool that you have this platform and that you're sharing these stories because without this, I, I think back to, um, you know, like I mentioned on the first podcast, we did that, that B nine thread where you were just chiming in and telling these legendary stories. So the fact that now you have this podcast and you're like, uh, in a sense continuing that and just, uh, you know, bringing on your friends and having these great conversations. I, I, this is something that I've wanted for a long time. And I think it's awesome that you're willing to do that.
1: I, I mean, this is what I would like to do. I, I mean, it'll be a little bit weird. When we get away from the digital interface, we start doing more in real life. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in sweatpants, relaxed. Some of my po- best podcasts were people at home, relaxed. I don't want to. I don't think I have the ability to have that, like traditional podcast set. But I won't limit what the podcast is. But I prefer to not make someone have to come to a spot and have to be here. I think the nervous level would rise and the anxiety would be there. I think someone comfortable and relaxed is going to give a better conversation. And all this is about conversation. It's about reliving their experiences so then we can learn from it and touching on things and trying to find a synchronicity between their experiences of hardcore and everybody else's so people get a better understanding of how everything fits. And remember, every person who you hear, including me, this is my perspective. I'm not the expert. I'm not the... I, my say is final. Your say isn't final. It's our perspective. So I like to hear everyone's perspective on things. I think in going into 2022, I've had one guy. I think I've only had one time where I've had two members of a band on, like usually it's one guy representing the voice of that band. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting if I start going back and getting a second take from a second person, that would be interesting. You know, uh, I'm going to try a couple multi-guest episodes in the weeks to come. I've got some project episodes where I have little tidbits from a couple of different people and sound clips. And I tell a whole story. That's taking me incredibly long to do, but when it's done, it's going to make me really happy. got two of them in the works. So that's another thing. I got to stop with these side projects, podcasts that'll come out in like six months and just make sure the weekly content's there. So it's important when I'm on a podcast like yours that we get to talk about it because I hope that more people take a chance to listen to it. I just appreciate you supporting the podcast and liking what we have that comes out, man.
0: 100%. Well, Joe, as the sun sets behind you in San Francisco, I just want to thank you because this this definitely means the world to me. I, I I talk about this. um, I have this imaginary list um, of people that in my mind are a must have um, at least once a year. And I'm happy that you were able to, to, to come back on the podcast this is uh seriously such a this pleasure will be for a me. yearly thing uh, it, it's been for the past three years so we, we got to keep it going at this point um
1: and uh will I'll be waiting for for a minute ask cabbage
0: I'm I'm gonna try to facilitate that I'm gonna reach out to Bob wilson um, and try to set everything up but um, I'm definitely looking forward to getting to Philly finally for a proper hardcore show I'm excited to to hang out with you in your city and uh, see everybody else but I appreciate you taking the time to do this. And uh, before we sign off, is there anything else you would like to say before we go?
1: You can listen to this podcast and you can think of me as like an old guy who is angry. I'm not angry, but I, I, I will take offense. I will stand up for what I believe in. I speak plainly. You want some flowery words that don't really add up. If you caught me on the street, this is how I would talk to you. It comes from years of living and working directly with people that talk blame. Um, I love everything about what's going on in hardcore right now. I love how people have returned and people have shown. And, and you know, I think that if everyone could do one thing in 2000 with 22, it's like be on Twitter less. Do not care if you don't get likes on the Internet. Be a person that you can respect, not someone who can write something for a snarky like that's going to get QTs and RTs and all that metric is nonsense. Be a a person who is available to their friends and understand that hardcore isn't a jumping pad to some rock career. It's an amazing subculture with a lot of set of values and a rich history that goes beyond The last five years or the next five years. Um, there's amazing amount of hardcore books. There's amazing amount of podcasts. Some of them are ass. So don't, you know, don't listen to every hardcore podcast because some are just straight ass, but some guys out there really doing stuff to propagate and push or not propagate, promulgate and push the podcasts in a way that shares the culture and the history as a young person you might be able to catch up on. Um this is something that has stayed with me 2022. I'll be celebrating 25 years of booking shows yet. I'm only 41. So that tells you I've been doing this. since I was a teenager. There's times when I go, what the fuck am I doing here? And other times in the glory, and the moment of seeing a, a band or a kid, have a great time or getting thanked for giving people the opportunity to escape the hard, regular life. I'm reminded of why I still do this. And I just appreciate you appreciating, what we've done in pennsylvania and i'm really happy that you allow me to come on here and talk for hours and hopefully not make a complete ass of myself so thank you
0: all right well there you guys have it i appreciate it for everybody who tuned in and we'll be back soon